This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. This is episode 127, entitled The Early Christian View of God in 2 Thessalonians. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. Thank you so much for joining us today at the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. In our last episode, we examined the claims of two prominent scholars of early Christianity, the late Larry Hurtado and Richard Bauckham. Hurtado has argued in many of his publications that the early Christian devotion to Jesus— found in the New Testament, was Benetarian in theology and practice. Richard Bauckham has argued in his books that Jesus was exalted and absorbed into the identity of God. However, when we carefully examined what is likely to be the earliest Christian document in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians, neither of these reconstructions appeared to be what Paul taught. In fact, the Apostle Paul understood God along the lines of Jewish monotheism, where God is a single person. Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, died, rose, and was exalted to God's right hand, according to the Apostle Paul. This week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast will have us look at 2 Thessalonians to see how early Christians understood the God of Israel and the exalted Messiah, Jesus. 2 Thessalonians was written to answer some confusion that arose from what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians. There is a sizable number of scholars, although in a minority in modern times, who argue that 2 Thessalonians is pseudonymous, that somebody wrote 2 Thessalonians in Paul's name or under Paul's authority. Most scholars, however, still favor Pauline authorship, and I personally find the arguments for Paul writing 2 Thessalonians to be quite convincing. If Paul wrote it, as I think he did, then it couldn't have come too long after 1 Thessalonians, one or two years later at most. 2 Thessalonians was meant to correct some of the misunderstandings that the congregation in Thessalonica had. Were monotheism and Christology among the topics that Paul sought to correct? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is the Christian portrayal of God in 2 Thessalonians. In 2 Thessalonians, God continues to be a major topic with the Greek noun theos, the noun that means God, appearing 18 times over the course of three chapters. However, in chapter 2 and verse 4 of 2 Thessalonians, theos is used for a man who makes himself out 
into being God. So this would be a negative example of God being used. But in every other occurrence, Theos refers to the true God. And every time that the true God is qualified, it is qualified as the Father, as God the Father. We can see this in chapter 1, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 2, and chapter 2 and verse 16. God, in 2 Thessalonians, is never qualified as God the Son or God the Holy Spirit. God, in 2 Thessalonians, is considered to be a just judge, as he is the one who will repay those who afflict the believers in Thessalonica, and he is going to do so justly. Chapter 1, verse 6. Not surprisingly, God, in 2 Thessalonians, is the object of prayer, specifically in that God could be prayed to to count the Thessalonians worthy of their calling and that God would fulfill their every desire for goodness. Chapter 1, verse 11. God is the one who has chosen the believers from the beginning. And God does this by the process of sanctification of the Holy Spirit and by faith in the truth. So God is the one who chooses or elects his people. Nothing said of God here strikes me as diverging from Jewish unitary monotheism. God is not described as triune or even in Benetarian terms. There is no hint that God is a plurality of persons. In other words, the Apostle Paul is portraying God consistently with the portrayal of God exhibited throughout the Hebrew Bible, where God is only one person, namely the Heavenly Father. That's what 2 Thessalonians has to say about God, but we have to look at the person of Jesus. And that moves us to our second point, which is the Christian portrayal of Jesus in 2 Thessalonians. I did some word studies in our previous episode, and I think it's helpful to do it in this episode as well. In 2 Thessalonians, which again is only three chapters long, the person of Jesus is described with his given human name, Jesus, 12 times. He is described as the Christ, which is the anointed king of God's kingdom, 10 times. However, it's not surprising that he is described most frequently with the exalted title Lord, Kyrios. And he is called Lord 22 times. And so the person of Jesus is described with that given human name Jesus 12 times, as Christ 10 times, but as Lord 22 times. And some of the notable points where he is called Lord is that Jesus is called our Lord Jesus quite frequently. Chapter 1, verse 8, verse 12, chapter 2, verse 1, verse 14, verse 16, chapter 3, verse 6, verse 18. And by saying Jesus is our Lord, he is drawing on the fact 
that Jesus is the Lord that is shared by the Thessalonian believers, while formerly their Lord was the Emperor of Rome. Their Lord was Caesar. Some people like to think that just because Jesus is called Lord, this is an indicator that Jesus is Yahweh. But the usage here goes against that suggestion because Yahweh is never described in Hebrew or anywhere within the Hebrew Bible as our Yahweh. That's a non-biblical term. So to refer to Jesus as our Lord it couldn't even possibly mean our Yahweh. It's just a Lord that is shared by the Thessalonian believers. And it is taking a Caesar title and attributing it to Jesus, because Jesus is the risen and exalted Lord that is sitting at God's right hand. Just as we see in Psalm 110 verse 1, where Yahweh speaks to someone distinct from him, as my Lord, and tells him to sit at God's right hand. Jesus is also called the Lord of Peace in chapter 3, verse 16. And in the Greek, it's more specific. He is Lord of the Peace, with the definite article there. The Roman Emperor, of course, claimed to be the Father of Peace and the one who has brought peace and security to the Roman Empire. Jesus, of course, is the true king, the true Lord that brings about the true peace with his death and resurrection and with the coming kingdom of God. With Jesus being called Lord far more frequently than even his given human name and the Jewish title Christ, it is almost as if Lord has become just another proper name for Jesus, much like Christ very quickly became a proper name. Lots of people refer to Jesus as Christ, and you can see this in the New Testament, that the title Christ very quickly in early Christianity became a proper name for Jesus. And what we're starting to see here is that Lord, very early on, became a proper name. In fact, many times in Second Thessalonians, Jesus is called Lord without referring to him as Jesus or the Christ, indicating that Kyrios, Lord, the risen Lord, has become a title for Jesus. In regard to Jesus, the saving gospel message is described variously in terms of him. In chapter 1 and verse 8, it is called the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And in chapter 3 and verse 1, it is the word of the Lord. So Jesus is the one that preached the gospel. As you can see in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. And that is described here in 2 Thessalonians as the gospel of our Lord Jesus and the word of the Lord. Jesus' gospel, Jesus' word. Very importantly, the Lord Jesus will return from heaven at the second coming. The persecutors, along with those who do not know God and who do not obey Jesus' gospel, will suffer destruction away from Jesus' presence in chapter 1, verse 9. Of course, the second coming is consistently described in terms of Jesus 
coming to earth. Not God coming to earth. Not the Father coming to earth. This was a major topic in 1 Thessalonians. I'd mentioned it in our previous episode that it appeared in every single chapter of 1 Thessalonians, and it is the reason why 2 Thessalonians was written, was to correct a misunderstanding in regard to the arrival of Jesus and the day of the Lord. It talks about when he comes, when Jesus comes in chapter 1 and verse 10. And it talks about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ using the Greek noun parousia. The coming of our Lord Jesus in chapter 2 verse 1 and chapter 2 verse 8. All these things are specifically said of Jesus Christ. Jesus also has glory that is attainable for the Thessalonian believers. And this glory is framed as part of the hope to be achieved when Jesus returns. For example, in chapter 1, verse 9, it says, These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and away from the glory of his power. When Jesus returns, he acts as judge. He will be present with the believers and the evildoers will be destroyed away from Jesus' powerful glory. In chapter 2, verse 14, it says, It was for this he, namely God, called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verse 14. Part of the summonings that happens with the preaching of the gospel is that in order that they might be glorified in the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. That, of course, happens at the second coming. So Jesus has a glory, specifically, that is to be attained as part of the Christian hope. The Christian faith is described as, quote, in the Lord, end quote, meaning within this sphere of influence that is defined and represented by Jesus Christ. Chapter 1 and verse 12 says, The name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him. So the believers will be in him, meaning in Jesus or in our Lord Jesus, meaning within the sphere of everything that Jesus represents and stands for. In chapter 3 and verse 4, Paul goes on and says, We have confidence in the Lord concerning you, that you will do and will continue to do what we command. So there is an authority in the Lord, in Christ, that Paul and his apostolic traveling companions are able to summon in order to encourage the disciples in Thessalonica to behave appropriately. And later in verse 12 of chapter 3, Paul says, Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and to eat their own bread. So there again, being in the Lord is this sphere of influence that is represented by Jesus as the risen and exalted Lord, as that authority figure. So when it comes to the depiction of Jesus, there is not really any evidence to suggest that he is a second member within a Godhead that consists of more than one person. Nor 
Is there any hint that Jesus has been so exalted that he is now observed as being in the identity of God? Jesus is a highly exalted human being. Of that, there can be no doubt. But how does this exalted man, anointed by God, function when working with the true God, the Heavenly Father? And to that, we have to look at passages to where God and Jesus are spoken of together, which is our third point. Point number three is God and Jesus working together in Second Thessalonians. It's an interesting passage, an ambiguous passage, where Jesus could be called God, or he might be distinguished from God. Look at this verse in chapter 1, verse 12. It says, The name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you, and you in him, according to, here it is, the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 12. This passage talks about the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. And the question is, is this referring to two persons, namely our God and the Lord Jesus Christ that have grace? Or is it referring to one person, namely the Lord Jesus Christ who is our God? There is an ambiguity there in the Greek text. And so this deals with grace. Remember, it is the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm curious about this grace and how the word grace is used as a theme in Second Thessalonians. In Second Thessalonians, you could see elsewhere that grace is attributed to both God and Jesus. Look in chapter 1, verse 2, where it says, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. There, when grace is described, clearly God and Jesus are distinguished. They are not collapsed into a single person. Elsewhere, we can see the same thing in chapter 2, verse 16, which says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace. So there, the Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father give us comfort and hope by grace. Chapter 2, verse 16. Clearly, there are two distinguished persons there. Jesus can be described as offering grace as well, without even talking about God. Chapter 3, and verse 18 says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thus concluding Second Thessalonians. It seems that the consensus of modern commentaries and specialists is that the lack of the definite article for the Lord Jesus Christ in our disputed passage, chapter 1, verse 12, is not likely to be an intentional suggestion that the Lord Jesus Christ is our God. The logic behind this is that in our disputed passage, it talks about the grace of our God and, because there's no definite article, the, before the word Lord, 
it could be taken as saying that our God is the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is not what the consensus of modern commentators are actually concluding. In fact, the modern critical commentaries note that Paul elsewhere in 2 Thessalonians does not use the definite article when referencing the Lord Jesus Christ when it is unambiguously clear that he is a distinct person from God. And this is very likely due to something that we've already observed, namely that the title Lord has already become much like a proper name for Jesus, like Christ has become a proper name for Jesus. We could talk about Jesus as Christ. I could say Christ, and you all know the person about whom I am referring. I don't have to say the Christ, because we all know which Christ to which I'm referring. In Greek, a definite article is not required for proper names. So it wouldn't be needed to distinguish the Lord Jesus from our God in chapter 1, verse 12, if it was quite clear that the Lord Jesus was a distinguished person, especially when the two are always distinguished persons in every other occurrence in 2 Thessalonians. Consider these examples. The opening verse, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, where there's no definite article there before the word Lord. But no one is going to conclude that God our Father is the Lord Jesus Christ. Every sane person knows that those are two separate persons. Very next verse, verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 2, where again, there is no Greek definite article before the word Lord. But everybody knows that God the Father is not the same person as the Lord Jesus Christ. It is clear that they are distinguished persons. So it's likely in chapter 1, verse 12, that when it talks about the grace of our God, it is also talking about the grace of somebody else, namely the Lord Jesus Christ and there is grace coming from two persons, our God and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Moving on, Jesus is involved in the process of divine judgment. God will repay those who afflict the Thessalonians and give relief when Jesus revealed from heaven on the day of judgment. Chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. When it says that Jesus will be revealed, this verb is in the passive, and it's generally understood as the divine passive. And we have the divine passive, Jesus will be revealed. It suggests that it is God himself who will actually do the revealing. God will reveal Jesus on that apocalyptic day. So it's very interesting to see how God and Jesus are working together in regard to the day of the Lord, the day of judgment. God repays the afflicted, chapter 1, verse 7, specifically by sending Jesus to do the actual slaying. Jesus will slay the wicked one in chapter 2, verse 8, on the day of his coming. 
the Lord Jesus is able to be sought out in order that he may direct the hearts of believers into the love of God and into the steadfastness exhibited by Christ. So Christians can beseech the Lord Jesus and have the Lord Jesus teach them about how to love God and how to have steadfastness as demonstrated by Jesus. This again demonstrates that Jesus had a lifestyle that could be emulated and functioned as an example for those believers. He had a steadfastness that the believers in Thessalonica were to emulate. And of course, chapter 1, verse 1 indicates that the church in Thessalonica is defined as being in God our Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the believers are defined by God as their Father and defined as being in the Lord Jesus Christ. Both God the Father and the Lord Jesus, as customary, send greetings in the letter. Chapter 1, verse 2. There are quite a few ways that the risen Lord Jesus works alongside God the Father. But the specifics of those ways don't lead us to indicate that Jesus is equal with God, or that God is now Benetarian, or that Jesus has been absorbed into the identity of God. In conclusion, we have observed that 2 Thessalonians was written to correct some very important misunderstandings that arose from things said in 1 Thessalonians. The identity of God and the person of Jesus Christ were not among those topics that needed any clarification. First, we noted that the true God is depicted in 2 Thessalonians as the Father. As the true God, the Father acts as the divine judge and the one who elects his people. The Father is the recipient of prayer and the one who sanctifies the people of God with his Holy Spirit. Second, we noted that Jesus Christ is most frequently described as the risen Lord, which is indicative of how God has exalted Jesus in status. The gospel that Jesus preached is regarded as the message the Thessalonians should believe and also preach. Jesus participates in the judgment of God in that God sends Jesus to execute the evildoers. Jesus remains a representative of the people of God, and his sphere of influence is embedded in much of Paul's theology, so that Paul's, quote, in Christ, end quote, theology is even described in terms of being, quote, in the Lord, end quote. Lastly, we observe that God and Jesus are regularly spoken of as working together on many fronts. On the day of judgment, Jesus will be revealed by God. Paul is confident that his converts can come to exhibit the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ, indicating that both God and Jesus possess desirable ethical qualities that believers should adopt.
the believing community is defined as the church in God as the Father and in Jesus Christ as the risen Lord. As per the usual case in Paul's letters, both God and Jesus send greetings. God and Jesus are consistently distinguished, and this is almost certainly to be the intended case in the grammatically ambiguous passage that talks about the grace of our God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, chapter 1, verse 12. If the consensus of modern scholars is correct, that this passage indicates two persons, not one person, who is both our God and the Lord Jesus Christ, then there is absolutely no evidence that God is anything other than a single self, the Father. Furthermore, there is no indication that the theology of Jesus is anything other than the depiction of an exalted human being who now shares in God's activity. God is still one person, and the highly exalted and promoted Jesus remains distinct from the only true God. 2 Thessalonians, therefore, exhibits biblical Unitarian theology. Join us next week as we look at Galatians to see how the risen Jesus is portrayed alongside the only true God of Jewish monotheism. Please consider supporting the Biblical Unitarian Podcast as it aims to promote the sound truths about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. You can support the podcast for free by sharing your favorite episodes and by writing an honest review on iTunes. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you may check out this episode's description for a PayPal link. Special thanks to Dustin Williams for post-production and editing the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Dustin Smith. Until next time, you folks, please take care.